Welcome to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager. On September 23, 2015, the YWCA of Southern Arizona hosted Part 3 of their ongoing community discussion on mass incarceration. Due to the ever-growing numbers of neighbors who are being incarcerated, as well as the collateral consequences The YWCA of Southern Arizona believes that this conversation is part of their social advocacy work and their mission of eliminating racism, empowering women, and promoting peace, justice, freedom, dignity for all. This set of workshops are part of the YWCA Tucson's ongoing year-long campaign for racial justice held in conjunction with Tucson Urban League, our Family Services Program, the Center for Community Dialogue, the NAACP Tucson Chapter, and the Black Women's Task Force. Today on 30 Minutes, we'll feature excerpts from remarks made at the third community discussion on mass incarceration. This session focused on immigration detention. First up, we continue with remarks made by Attorney Margot Cowan, followed by Attorney Isabel Garcia. This is part two of a two-part series. And so I, I often feel like I'm standing on the beach and the waves are coming in and out and the sand's like going out from under my feet because one moment I hear the president and I hear the Secretary of Homeland Security say, well, we're going to focus on, on these priorities for removal and we're, we're not interested in these people. And then my phone rings and it's one of these people and they've gone to Eloy, or they've gone to Florence, and they go before immigration judges that, um, you know, you, you would not think that you're in administrative proceedings. Some, some of my friends, criminal defense lawyers who've practiced in federal and state criminal court for a long, long time, when I'm able to drag them into one of the detention facilities and they sit in there and they look at the court, they're shocked. They can't believe it. They just cannot believe it. It is horrific, the way that people are treated and the arbitrary nature of the application of the law. So people are held and bonds are high and those are still not the people that are priorities for removal. And the people that are priorities for removal, you know, are are people who have um, committed crimes that put themselves in those kinds of situations. And I'm not talking about petty crimes. I'm talking about, you know, major drug transactions or robbing banks or, you know. And that part of the law works very well. But the other people that are in Eloy, the people that are suffering day in and day out, are people who uh, shouldn't have been detained in the first place because that's clearly the instruction uh, of the president and of the secretary. So what do we do about it? Well, we, uh, most people in immigration court are not represented. In fact, about 90% of them are not represented. Um, we've organized a couple of clinics and I see some of our clinic volunteers here um, through No More Deaths called Keep Tucson Together just to do our part to try and um, uh, provide information and assistance to get people out of out of detention, but most people who go through that process uh, give up 
because they, they can't stand it. It's horrific. You know? I was in Eloy um, maybe about six months ago, and there was a, a group of Chicano employees, and they were all bantering back and forth in Spanish. And there was a rule at the time that Spanish-speaking employees couldn't speak in Spanish to people who were detained. And so they would scream at people in English, and they would get madder and madder and scream these, these orders at them. And I kind of took that one on as a, as a personal fight and got that rule dropped. But, um, you know, there's a zillion more rules. And the purpose of it is, is to get people to give up and to leave. But the people that, that give, give up and leave, they come back. And they have to come back. Because when you haven't had a regularization for more than a generation, and when we understand that our statutory scheme doesn't work, so mom and dad can't get documented, then they're going to come back. They have to come back because here's their life and here's their family. And so we've set up this situation of, of just horrific preying on people who are unable to defend themselves but make a terrific, tremendous, irreplaceable contribution to our community and the fabric of our society and our schools and our churches. And, and so where are we? Well, you know, it's hard to say. Immigration, um, I've practiced immigration defense for 40 years. And I, I used to think I, I had the answers. I don't think that anymore. But one thing that's crystal clear to me is that nation state borders, nation state borders, have no function in our world today. They don't. They're an archaic view. And, and I hope that I'm around when, when all the walls come down, because they will, because they can't be sustained, because they, don't, they do not serve a purpose. And this idea that we have to paper everybody up to the nth degree. I mean, I represent people who are derivative citizens, that means they're citizens at birth because their parents were citizens who haven't been able to work or get social security or anything because they can't get papered up. You know, when it, it seems to me we're at the end of the extreme where you fall off and the walls come down and a little sense comes up and we look around and we figure out how we can build better communities together. Up next on 30 Minutes, attorney Isabel Garcia speaks at the YWCA of Southern Arizona's third forum in their ongoing community discussion on mass incarceration. These sessions are so critically important to our society. The issue of mass incarceration, is it's just a crisis, and people don't know. And so it's our responsibility to... Um, uh, to do our part, and, and the mass incarceration issue is huge when you think of our population being, what, 5%, but we have 25% of all the world prisoners, isn't that right, Carolyn? I mean, the figures are just unbelievable. And, and so we've got this incarceration, the criminal justice um, uh, interaction together with the immigration, detentions, and interactions, 
and here we are. And we're in a, in a good spot to uh, really make all of those connections. I think that's the most critical thing that we take away is that we make all of these connections. Um, Margot is, is right uh, uh, talking a little about, about history, right? In the immigration arena, like most everything though in this country, where we have injustices where there's a lot of ignorance. And we have a lot of injustice in the immigrant rights arena and you hear Trump saying what he says and people cheering him and, and saying these lies, basically. Shows us how much we need to teach, to have a real dialogue. We promote ourselves as a nation of immigrants and all and we don't know anything about the immigration law. None of the things Margot talked about or any of those other things that happened. But what I do say, and Margot says there's two principles, I think the primary principle in our immigration policies has, has always been economics. Family preference system is correct. That's how it was set up. And, and uh, just so that many of you know, it's not this, what did they call it, this chain thing. Family preferences are pretty limited. Immediate relatives, you know, I, I mean immediate, the, the, the most removed is if brother or sister of a U.S. citizen. And uh, what's the, the deadline, uh, the delay for that, Margot? 12 years? 45. Oh, now it's 25 years. So, so really, our, our immigration laws are not, they're fa they appear failed to us, but I believe that they're very intentional because economics has been at the root of all of this. When we threw out the Chinese, they actually got together and decided we need immigrants. And where are we gonna get them from? Well, from Mexico. And since then, we've engaged in this pattern and practice of having people come here. So it's been, come, the streets are paved with gold and there's jobs and, and this happened during the NAFTA times. I mean, they're urging people to come, that there's jobs everywhere. I mean, then we have a whole portion of people that were forced out of Mexico. How many people know that? That over six million had to cross the United States unlawfully because they lost their way of living because of NAFTA. Who knows that? How many people know that we're, you know, in El Salvador, the horrible, immoral, I hate to think about it, the war we waged in El Salvador, we didn't expect that we'd cause migration? The war on, allegedly, on drugs, what has that cost? And so we as Americans have to look at history and have to look at why 11 million people are undocumented here. It's because we depend on them. Our economy depends on it. So we've got all of that. And so it's been working and Margo and I would go off to DC and we'd be um, partners with uh, big business who wanted relaxed borders. We've always had an open border. That's the secret. We've had an open border because that's what we've wanted. But then when economic, or the economy was restructuring what we know as neoliberal policies, globalization, all of this, it dramatically changed everything. No longer would they go with Margo and I to DC anymore because now, well, they didn't need as much labor. Let's just pay cheap labor elsewhere. Right? And so things began to change, and, but look at what, what NAFTA has done, right? We have caused all of this. And so 
trying to, to hone into my subject today is that we have what's called a consequence delivery system. It's pretty weird. Think of your children, I guess, or something, right? A consequence delivery system. You're going to deliver a consequence so that you escalate. And I guess they do that in a criminal justice system as well, which is pretty erroneous. But they've adopted it in, in, in the Border Patrol. And so the first thing that you need to know is that the vast majority of people had always been what called voluntarily removed or deported. Not voluntary at all. It's a term of art in immigration. But you sign away that you don't want to go in front of a judge. Right? It used to be really easy to determine who had voluntary departure and therefore no formal deportation, which has huge consequences. And it's not as easy anymore because now they don't see a judge, but they get these um, um, expedited removals that serve as a full uh, a formal deportation. And so uh, we had in the pie, we had a vast majority of voluntary departures and more and more and more we have resourced this incredible apparatus. When I tell you it's unprecedented expenditures, it's because it is. It's mind-boggling what we have allowed Democrats, Republican, Democrats, Republican administration, they've all been the same in terms of resourcing this detention and deportation apparatus to the point that we can now deport half a million, detain and ha deport half a million people per year. So were we satisfied with just throwing people out? Well, we've continued to push the formal deportation process, which means it's not a voluntary departure anymore, it has real consequences in your immigration history and for what, what is streamlined. And so that they wanted an increase in all deportations and with expedited removals, now it's the majority of them are, are just really and quick and easy, but they're, they're formal. And they have begun to increase the prosecution of illegal entry and reentry. When I practiced in federal court years ago in the 80s, uh, there was three or four cases of illegal entries and you could literally go and fight them uh, that they did not advise him of Miranda rights. Remember, this is not a civil administrative proceeding that you're not entitled to a lawyer. This is a criminal proceeding. And so criminal law applies. And as Margo and I were talking um, earlier, the intersection of this civil agency and the criminal justice system has really destroyed effectively meaningful rights for immigrants in criminal court. And that is because the administrative agency, the Border Patrols, question you for purposes of immigration. And then when they find out your name and they look up that I had been deported through Nogales in 2007, then they can charge me with a felony of being found in the country after I had been formally deported and I had no waiver or permission from the U.S. to excuse that deportation, and that's a felony. And it is almost indefensible, almost. And most lawyers that, that do these cases, I'm sorry, but they don't do their job. But most of them are indefensible because what does the prosecutor have to prove? That they found me right here at the Y, and that I have a deportation order 
out of 2007. Even if they came and violated my rights and questioned me, detained me illegally, questioned me illegally, the Ninth Circuit has said, your identity is never suppressible. In other words, you do a motion to suppress because they illegally obtained something from you. If it was drugs in my purse, I could win the case, right? Uh, if they had no reason to go into my purse. But identity is not suppressible. So it's an easy case, right? So what do you think the fastest growing federal felony in this country is? Federal felony. Anybody want to take a guess what's the most popular? Obviously the most heinous has to be, right? The one we want to spend a lot of money on prosecuting. What do you think that is? Illegal reentry. They don't even have to prove your entry either. At least with a misdemeanor, they have to prove that you walked across the border and usually they do it by taking your statement. You give your own evidence against you because generally, even with the high tech we have at the border, they don't see everybody crossing illegally. And so, we now have this consequence delivery system where the Border Patrol has decided that there be no more voluntary departures. They want everybody to have formal deportations. And secondly, the prosecution has gone sky high. So you've heard us talking about Operation Streamline. Operation Streamline is a process that really follows the name. You streamline it. Where you eliminate all of the protections we have in the criminal justice system. And believe me, I have a lot of criticism of the criminal justice system, as you can imagine. But at least we have a process with constitutional protections and with an operation streamline. And these kind of prosecution programs, what you do is all of your, your, uh, your rights, your constitutional rights are waived and you simply plead guilty. And that's what Streamline does. If you haven't been to Streamline, you must see it. It's an en masse prosecution, criminal prosecution, with serious consequences. It's not speeding tickets. You get more justice in Tucson City Court on a speeding ticket than you do with these cases. So 70 people are chained. You can hear the chains the entire time. They're chained, and in a one-hour period, some people take 34 minutes, some of the judges take up to two hours. But within generally an hour, every single person that went into the courtroom pled guilty to a criminal offense and was sentenced to prison in one of these uh, private prisons. All of that happens. That means there's no probable cause determination. You've heard through the Ferguson um, case about probable cause determination, right? In other words, a police can stop me right now and charge me with burglary. Well, I'm not gonna go and face a jury trial and judge and be exposed to that charge unless there's a probable cause determination made somewhere. And that's done through a grand jury or a preliminary hearing. And you heard those in Ferguson, right? So they, you give that up any check on the police is given up. You give up your rights to any information that they're using about you, any reports, anything. You give up your rights to investigate. You give up your rights to challenge, to develop any legal motions and challenges to that, and either then go to trial or do a change of plea, and then 30 days later, you get sentenced. All of this is done in one hour.
It's really shocking that in 2015, we allow this kind of process. And so we have formed nationally an organ, you know, a grouping to try to eliminate, really, 1325s, which is the illegal entry, and Section 1326, which is the felony re-entry. In a felony re-entry, you can get two to 20 years. Uh, McCain's bill, um, joined by others, wants to increase that to a minimum of five years if you're found guilty of illegal re-entry. That, that's in one of the, the processes. When this program was started, it was started in Del Rio, Texas. My friends called me, I practiced for a year, two years there before I came back, um, and they told me they're building a new federal prison. And I thought, oh my God, they're going to do illegal entries, because I knew I'd been monitoring here, and they'd still done only, you know, and they had increased, 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 increased. They built that federal courthouse that you see. That was built before Operation Streamline started. That's how we had built up. And remember, we created a funnel. I mean, there's so much to talk about. When we militarized the border, we purposely created a funnel through Arizona. And when they created Operation Streamline, go back to the newspapers. Guess what they said? This program is for first-time entrants. We want to give them a consequence to stop their smuggling habits of smuggling themselves into the country. It was for first time. We want to show that we can cut this crime rate, recidivism. And so that's all you hear. Oh, we think 45 days is the ideal time, would say one Border Patrol agent or sector chief. Uh, 45 days teaches them a lesson to, to, to not come back. So what happened to migration? Remember what I told you, NAFTA caused mass migration. We created this state of hate purposely. They funneled everybody through here. We created uh, a huge business here at the federal courthouse. We created state crimes to criminalize immigrants. We went from a 10% of all immigrants are criminals to 63% are criminals. Well, because we've criminalized them, whether with aggravated identity theft, smuggling themselves. I mean, we created state offenses, and now we've created these offenses. So now, when migration is still the lowest in over 40 years, would you know that, listening to Trump or any of the GOP, that you would think we're just like being, uh, actually like we were in Europe. You know, Europe is, is facing a, a massive thing, that's, and that's another issue, but uh, very related. But we are lower than, over, in over 40 years, we've not seen such low migration. So what do you think happened? Were they going to close up and say, we don't have new time people anymore to give a consequence to, so let's just shut down this shop? And they didn't. So now the justification by all the lawyers that go there, and I can understand when you have a case in front of you and they tell you, if you plead guilty to count one, they'll dismiss count two, which is the felony. Remember I told you that this felony has very little defense? But some do have defenses. And I'm telling you, some of the lawyers are not equipped. They don't know immigration law. They, the judges also sort of pass it off, well, you'll go to an immigration court and that sort of thing. So it's now changed its rationale. And of course, now the lawyers love it. They say, well, if he pleads guilty, if he doesn't plead guilty and get 85 days today, he's got to face the felony. And what are the chances of him winning at trial? Very rough, really rough. So, but the question remains is why are we doing this? Why? 
we were paying CCA up to $17 million a month during the height of Operation Streamline during those years, 2005 and six, We were paying them, according to the U.S. Marshal, David Gonzalez told everybody, $17 million a month to CCA to house the people in federal court. And at that time, they admitted it was 86% of all the business that's done in federal court is the prosecution of illegal entries and reentries. We are no longer interested in just you know, deporting them anymore. We're criminalizing them first. And I believe, and I submit to you, it's for two reasons. So that we can poison the narrative. Oh, 63% are criminals. We poison the narrative and you know, the bad, good guy versus the bad guy. And of course, the other is very clear. The chinky chink, the money. I did want to say that Raul Rijalva, as you know, submitted a bill against using private prisons, but I read today that DHS has given the alternative to prison program to GEO. Uh, so, you know, and it's something that is going to happen uh, nationwide with the more we move toward eliminating incarceration and giving more treatment and those things, guess who's signing up to do those contracts? The very prison people. And so uh, I thought that was really important to, um, to bring out. I think uh, that our job is really clear for us, how we have to uh, make all of the con connections with how we have utilized the criminal justice system to incarcerate African Americans. Uh, and that's when we first began to utilize the system uh, to control labor and we've continued to do so, you know, the, the, we're just the latest and, and the best. Uh, migrants are pretty much the very best uh, target of all of this. But uh, we, as we move toward, you know, lowering incarceration and, and talking about uh, resourcing the front end, uh, which is healthcare, education, uh, a healthy environment, healthy community, jobs, healthcare, all of those things are the things that really give us security. And I think until we engage with our communities, that that's what gives us security, uh, not what has brought uh, total insecurity. Uh, all of us have experiences with devastated families. It, it's devastating. Uh, the, hum the, the, the toll on our humanity is unbelievable. The economic um, impact is, is really substantial. When you think that in our Tucson court alone that we spend about $33 million altogether per month. Isn't that shocking? $33 million per month. That's times 12. Um, and yet our communities don't know about it. Most people go by that courtroom and I speak to churches and other places and I ask people if they know what it is, what they do in the federal court, and no one knows. So uh, it's our job, that's our job. So thank you and, and hopefully we'll have questions. That was Isabel Garcia speaking at the YWCA of Southern Arizona's third forum in their ongoing community discussion on mass incarceration and how it affects our community. The YWCA Tucson believes that this conversation is part of their social advocacy work and their mission of eliminating racism, empowering women, 
and promoting peace, justice, freedom, and dignity for all. This set of workshops are part of the YWCA Tucson's ongoing year-long campaign for racial justice, held in conjunction with Tucson Urban League, our Family Services Program, the Center for Community Dialogue, the NAACP Tucson Chapter, and the Black Women's Task Force. This was part two of a two-part series. Thank you for listening to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Shager. This episode and all episodes of 30 Minutes are available at kxci.org.